0: The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast are presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same game parlays to live and game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Bet a $100 and get an extra $100 at WinBet.com or download the WinBet app and start winning today. State restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the Sports Game Podcast Final Four Watch Party this Saturday. Sweat out your favorite bets and win prizes with Ryan, Sean, and Colby over on youtube.com slash sports gambling podcast and welcome everybody to the tennis gambling podcast here on the sports gambling podcast network is currently early tuesday morning march 28th and i'm your host as always scott rochelle once again going solo for this pod and it is time to jump into the middle of the master of the thousand event taking place in miami we kind of Went back to a hybrid system for the actual episode breakdown. I know in Indian Wells, we did episodes for every single round. This tournament, we didn't exactly do that. We skipped a couple rounds here and there. Now we're back for the round of 16, and we'll go from there. I'm definitely going to be back for the semis and the final. The question is if I'll be back for the quarters, probably. Uh, So I should be having a, a lot of tennis content over the next week or so. So, t- so stay tuned for that. But before I get into any of the match previews, do want to recap how we did in the last episode. It was a long time ago, but ended up going undefeated. However, did not sweep. We did end up winning the lock. We had McDonald and on under the game total there. That worked out well. I thought McDonald would win somewhere around 6-4, 6-2. And he won exactly six four six two. It's a nice win there for McDonald, but most importantly, one in a convincing enough fashion to cash the under for total games. And then for the dog, gave out Umber to win in straight sets against Monfi. Monfi only got through six games and retired because of injury. So ended up getting a push there for the dog, but did win the lock. So undefeated. Can't really complain too much. I was going to fade Monfee, as I said before, uh, for a while because I wasn't overly impressed by how he looked against Thompson, and that's not exactly how I wanted that match to go by any means, not because we lost the bet, but because Monfi, despite wanting to fade him at this stage in his career with all the injuries, he's still a very fun entertainer, and seeing him only last six games after going to three sets in a challenger event the week prior, not what I wanted to see. And I hope Monfi can make a full recovery, but definitely not a good sign there. And hopefully he can make it back to full strength shortly, not just because we want to bet against him, but because of the fact that he has been a very entertaining tennis player for a long time and you want to see him prolong his career. But anyway, can't really complain much about the actual results, but for the actual outrights, for the most part, kind of a mixed bag. We gave out pretty much the favorites for the first three quarters. Threw in a couple of flyers in there, which lost. Gave out Herkaz and Tiafo, for example, and those did not work out. Also ended up looking into Leshika at 8-1, to one, and he unfortunately lost pretty convincingly to Kakanov. But that was going to be our Cinderella quarter there was the fourth quarter. We did like the favorites in the first three. I also threw out Rublev in the second quarter. And he's going to end up taking on a center in this round. And then the winner faces off against either Venzan, Schulp, and Rusavori. So we'll see what happens there. But if you bet the favorites blindly in this event, you've done quite well for yourself. And I kind of want to recap the overall takeaways for the event up to this point. And my first takeaway is going to be the favorites doing very well for themselves, because with a couple of exceptions, you've had. Kind of just chalk reigning supreme. Alcaraz is still around. He's against Tommy Paul. That's what I expected to have happen in the round of 16. Fritz is against Rune. We expected that to happen as well. Then you have the Zan Schulp against Rusevori matchup, which is a bit of a shock, but... Once again, you're talking about Zverev, who I wanted nothing to do with, and Rude, who I wanted nothing to do with. Rude has been a disaster. Really, no way around it this season. And Zverev hasn't been good either. Daniel destroyed him, beat him 6 0 in the first set. That was a bloodbath. But I can't say I'm surprised by that matchup per se. I'm surprised by the players that got there. But when you realize it's Rude and Zverev, those are two of the high seated guys that can't exactly be trusted at the moment. So them losing early wasn't a total shock. Sinner and Rublev, that was expected. Then you have a bit of a shock here with uh, Manorino taking on Eubanks. I figured it was going to be Hercas against probably Church. Church has kind of been up in the air, so that's a bit of a surprise, but not too much. And Hercas was a bit of a surprise, but he was coming off of that three-plus hour marathon match against Kokonakis, which went to three tiebreakers and every set was like an hour and change, and he seemed to be a bit out of gas and Manorino beat him in straight sets seven, 7-6-7-6. Six, seven, six. So good for Manorino. Had a nice little run there, beating Shelton and beating Herkaz back-to-back. I do feel like facing off against Shelton prepares you quite well for facing off against Herkaz because they're both pretty good servers and Manorino looked pretty sharp. The big surprise, though, is Eubanks, So I think it's going to be right now at least the Cinderella story because Eubanks has been really just underwhelming his entire career he even lost to Feliciano Lopez in Mexico and Lopez basically came out of retirement so that was an embarrassing loss there I think in straight sets but he's been good ended up beating kudula in straight sets beat Chorich in three had a nice win against Barreri now Barreri did end up beating Nori I didn't mention that by the way it was, it was probably going to be Herkaz against Nori but Nori, I thought maybe he'll be fatigued after Indian Wells. And he got buried by uh, Barreri in his first match, lost 6-3, 6-2. But Nori's a guy that I've I've tried to back. And he has moments where he'll make it far. But he usually falls a step short. Like, if you'll better him to win a quarter, he'll make it to the quarters. He'll just probably lose. And we saw that in Indian Wells. And that was the only match we lost from that uh, two-pick future parlay in the center to win the quarter. And... Uh, Nori to win the quarter, and that paid out at—I forgot what it paid out. It was twenty-five bucks to win eleven hundred, I think, or forty bucks to win eleven hundred or something. Definitely hurt to not cash that by one match but nori didn't have the firepower and he came out flat brary beat him and eubanks has been good so that's one of the most interesting matches i guess per se manorino against eubanks which nobody saw coming but then you had Hallis against medvedev medvedev we picked to win the quarter so i'm assuming he'll roll but either way fourth quarter you have Surund- uh you have sarandolo taking on Sonigo, and you have Kakanov taking on Sitsipas. So Sitsipas didn't look great, but he ended up getting the job done against Gareen in his first match because Gasquet ended up winning and then retiring. So Sitsipas got a walkover in the third round, but Boss Kakanov should be fun rematch of the Australian open match there. So we'll see what happens. Sarandolo beating up on Son- uh Sarandolo beating up on Felix. I'll get to you in a second and Sungo having a nice win against Tiafoe. Uh, but for the most part, there really haven't been many upsets. You've seen a couple early on, uh, mostly with players who were either playing last week in Indian Wells and they were exhausted, or you just had players who we've kind of roasted on the show for their inconsistency or just being overrated or just based on betting odds, being extremely mispriced. And we've roasted them for a while, and what, they once again underachieved. And I'm mostly looking at Zverev. I'm looking at... Uh, I can't really criticize Nori. is more of the fatigue angle, but Felix is another example there. So I'm just going to focus on Felix and Zverev for now. Tiafo didn't look good against Sonigo, but he also made it to the semis and in Indian Wells, and you could argue about fatigue there. So I'll give Tiafo a little bit of a pass there, but still... Uh, mostly looking at Felix and Zverev. Zverev was embarrassing. You can't lose 6-0 in a set to, tar- to Taro Daniel. Now, Daniel's been better this year. He's had a couple of top 10 wins, uh, beaten Rude a couple weeks ago, and let's be real, Rude's been a train wreck so far in 2023. But Daniel's been good. But Zverev, 6-0, really, in the first set? And once again, I'm not saying that Zverev is a bad player, and we saw him make a somewhat deep run there in Indian Wells before losing in three sets to Medvedev, but he keeps getting priced like he's prime Zverev and he keeps losing and people are going to keep trying to make cases for Zverev being back. And it's a good spot for Zverev. I can't trust him. I couldn't trust him when he lost a Greek Spore back about a month or two ago. I, I just don't think that Zverev at this stage in his career is a reliable option post-injury. Now, will he ever return to 100%? I'm sure he will. But if you're asking me right now to grade how he looks post-injury, I would say 90%, 85%. But even pre-injury, Zverev was always vulnerable to upsets, because the second serve's a disaster, and we know that occasionally, if the strokes go awry, he's going to fall apart, and we saw that against Daniel. The unforced error count was crazy. The second serves were atrocious. Daniel was just hitting crazy returns off the second serve, and we saw Daniel just destroy him. So Zverev, once again, you're not going to pat myself on the back too hard, but if you've been blindly backing Zverev, hoping he'd be able to regain form, you've lost money, because he hasn't been very good. And then you have Felix, who was one of the OG guys that we roasted on this podcast. Dimitrov's, though, the all-time OG guy who we're going to roast, and he lost in straight sets to center not going to roast him there. But Felix was a guy who we thought, since we started this podcast, was vastly overrated. We know he's a top-ten guy, but people keep waiting for him to take this leap, and the closest he got was the Australian Open, and he ended up losing to Medvedev in that thrilling match. I think he had a match point or two in that one. And then since then he hasn't done anything. But then he kind of turned it around late in twenty twenty two, where he won a couple tournaments in a row. Him and Rune at the same time were just having these ridiculous winning streaks. And then they're kind of pads cross at some point. But the point is, Felix was in great just overall form at the end of twenty twenty two. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe Felix has turned a corner. Maybe he could channel some of that into 2023. I know he didn't end the year that well in 2022. I think he lost in the group stage in the uh, NITO Nitto ATP finals. But still, we thought it was a pretty good close to the year, and we're hoping Felix would be able to build on that. And then he went to the Australian Open this year, didn't look great, survived a couple of marathons, and then lost to Leshka in four. I didn't think Felix would good that entire tournament. Then after that, he's been kind of horrible, uh, no way around it. To go through this event, he beat Montero, competitive match, very fun tiebreaker in there, 7-6, 7-6, but the last one was 10-8. That was a very fun tiebreak. And then he got his ass kicked by Sarondolo yesterday, lost 6-2, 7-5. Just Felix is a guy who the highs can be very impressive, but you see a lot more meh performances or underwhelming upsets and i just think that felix is an overrated player and i've said it before he kind of changed my mind a little bit in 2022 at the end there but he reverted back to where he was before he's a good not great player and i kind of group him in the nori category now different skill sets nori of course has less firepower than felix but a bit more consistency but we saw felix make a deep run in the australian open and then he lost a heartbreaker there to medvedev we saw nori make a deep run in wimbledon he lost to djokovic and yeah I, I feel like that's their ceiling right now is making a random semi-final and the nori ones even flukier because the russians couldn't even play in wimbledon not saying medvedev or rublev historically speaking have had good results on grass, but you get my point. The point is it was a bit of a diminished field there, but I do think at the end of the day, when you're looking at the, well, even even the Felix semifinal appearance, I mean, Djokovic couldn't play, so that's also another factor. But yeah, anyway, the point is both of them have made a semi and a Grand Slam before under weird circumstances, but I don't think that their upside is actually winning a Grand Slam or even making a final. I really don't. I don't see it. So I kind of have Felix and and Nori group together as a fringe top ten player who I don't see making a serious run in a Grand Slam to a final. We'll 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 cap it there because semis maybe they get a favorable draw. Nadal potentially still gonna be ranked in the top twenty, and maybe Nadal's in their group and Nadal's injury issues, and as a result, you kind of have a limited field in your immediate quarter, and then maybe they could have a nice run. But for the most part, I really don't see it. I don't think either guy's going to make a semi anytime soon. Again, assuming that Djokovic is fully healthy and Alcaraz is fully healthy and, you know, he can go through the sinners of the world. And Sintipas is also a bit of a head case, but Sintipas is still better than these two guys, in my opinion. So the point is, Felix, I'm back down on. I tried to give him uh, an optimistic uh, look recently, and it didn't work out again. And Nori, he's consistent, he's fine, but he'll run into a guy who's just better than him or at least has more firepower and Nori still can't serve. So that's going to be his undoing all the time. But other than that, mostly the favorites have advanced and I really don't have anything else to add there. Uh, So just to briefly touch upon the just futures for this overall event, because I'm sure some of you are curious Um, Alcaraz is still the favorite. Nothing's really changed because once again, pretty much all of the favorites have won up to this point in terms of the favorites to win the event. I just mentioned about a couple upsets, but the main, main guys have been surviving and realistically thriving. There haven't been many that were tested. Paz was tested, but Green's actually had a pretty good run in hard court this year, which has been surprising. But Green actually looks pretty good. I'm not saying he's going to win anything, but, you know, Green, I think, has put together some moments where he has looked pretty sharp. But if you want to look at the actual odds here to win the event, uh, as of right now, Alcaraz is still around plus 130, give or take, plus 140. Medvedev is the second favorite at around plus 225. Once again, I'm I'm not really going to go through much because nothing's changed. I really just think Alcaraz is going to win the event. I even see him at plus 110 in some spots. But you have Medvedev at around 225. You have Sinner at 7-1. Tsitsipas at 11-1. Kakanov at 16-1. Fritz at 20-1. I think it's fascinating that Kakanov is a lower odds than Fritz, but the argument is Fritz is, has Alcaraz in his quarter, so he's going to have a tough little combo there of dealing with Rune followed by Alcaraz. But I think Fritz is the better player than Kakanov. But, yeah, I really don't see much value. I just think it's the same that we discussed when the tournament started. Alcaraz is our main guy. Sinner is going to be our flyer, and we'll go from there. So, yeah, not really much more to add, but that's kind of where we stand with the updated odds. But now it's time to get into the actual matches for the round of 16. I contemplated if I wanted to go through all the matches or if I would just look through a couple, but in reality, it's really not. I mean, eh. Got yeah, like eight matches. It's it's not. It's really not the end of the world. So you know what? We'll go through all eight, uh, and we'll see how uh, the odds will look for matches, and we'll go through what we think has some value. So starting off with the early match, which is fascinating because they have probably the best match first at 11 a.m. Eastern time, which I think is bizarre. You have Sinner taking on Rublev, and for this matchup, Sinner is a favorite, rightfully so. Minus 185 on the money line. Rublev is plus 165 the other way. As for the spread, is minus two and a half games. Rublev is plus two and a half games at minus 105. The over-under is 22 and a half at minus 115 on the over. Under is minus 105. And you also have the over-under two and a half sets. The over is plus 135. So starting off, with where we always start off when it comes to these matches, we got to go through the head-to-head looking for some historical trends, if any of them exist. So looking at the head-to-head here, it is pretty interesting. Uh 2-2 in the head-to-head. Looking at the recent matchups, they faced off three times on clay, one time on hard court. Uh 2020 was the hard court and Rublev won two to one. And then Sinner retired. So that tells you absolutely nothing. And then the last three matches, Sinner's won twice on clay, one in Barcelona in 2021, one in straight sets, one in Monte Carlo in 2022 in three sets. And then you had Rublev winning in Roland Garros in 2022. However, that was tied a set apiece, and then Sinner retired midway through the third set. So Rublev has two wins against Sinner, both via retirement and... That doesn't tell me anything. So the head-to-head I'm tossing in the garbage. That doesn't tell me anything. Sinner is the better hardcore player, in my opinion, or at least I think his ceiling is higher. Rublev has been consistent for longer, but I do think with Sinner's firepower and his ability to keep the ball in play, this whole match comes down to if Rublev's unforced errors are going to destroy him. And I think that if Rublev can keep the ball in play but still remain aggressive, I like his chances. But Sinner has played really well, and it wasn't his fault he ran into Alcaraz in the in, in Indian Wells. Sinner was having a very good tournament there, so he's in great form. Rublev's been in really good form, too, but he's played a bunch of events. I'm kind of concerned about potential fatigue, and Sinner, we know, took some time off after he ended up losing in the final in, I believe it was Rotterdam, where he lost to Medvedev in the final and then he took some time off to rehab a little bit or just to rest up, and he's been great ever since. Rublev didn't exactly take that time off, and I think that as a result, he's looked still good, but not as dominant as he did earlier a couple of weeks ago because I think fatigue could be playing a factor. But I do think that Sinner is worthy of being a favorite. Do I think that Rublev has a shot to win the match? Yes. I'm not telling you that Sinner is going to destroy him. I think it will be competitive, the question is do I think that it's competitive enough where there's value on Rublev on the money line. He has looked good in this event. Beat uh, Wolf 7664 then beat Kekmanovich uh, 6162. Sinner has looked very good as well, beat DeGir in straight sets and beat Dimitrov in straight sets. And for this one I think I would probably lean to the over. At least worst-case scenario if you can if you could find a book that lets you bet on a tiebreaker in the match, I think that's probably worth a look because I do see a tiebreaker taking place here. And I wanted to just look at the head-to-head one more time. Uh, the head-to-head, they had one tiebreaker on clay, but once again, the only three matches they've had, which actually completed at least two sets, were on clay, which doesn't tell you anything. But I could see a tiebreak here, and I do kind of want to see what the odds on that would be. If it's plus money, I think that's worth a shot. I think you could potentially see two, three sets uh do i see a tiebreaker in the match though sorry i'm just trying to scramble and see if i can find anything so tiebreaker in the match i can currently find sorry uh just pulling this up uh having to scramble at the last minute for props is pretty annoying uh, do I even see anything here? Uh, I do not. So that that sucks, uh, to be honest. Uh, I thought I could potentially find something. I was hoping to stall, so I was kind of extending some actual vowel sounds and maybe some consonants to see if I could find something, and I did. So over under a tiebreaker in the match. So one tiebreaker is plus 137. I like that. I think you'll see a competitive match. I think you might see a, a set with at least one break apiece and I think you could end up getting there, but it's mostly based on the fact that I like the over. Now, I think that at 22 and a half, you should see a bit of a competitive match. I think Sinner's going to win. I'd probably lean to Sinner in three if I had to pick it, but I do think 22 and a half games is the safer option because you could get a 7664, which is reasonable, but any tiebreaker at plus 137, I think's worth something. So that'll be my plus money play there that I'll lean to in this match, but I do think Sinner's going to win I think he's a more consistent player, and I think that he's the perfect blend of firepower mixed with consistency, and Rublev is still going to be susceptible to a lot of unforced errors, and mentally that can make that can just have a toll on him. Where we've seen Rublev scream a lot, and he looks at his coaches a lot, and he looks extremely distraught when he hits a lot of unforced errors. And with Sinner's length, I think he'll be able to force Rublev to hit extra shots. And if that happens and Rublev misses a couple and Sinner goes wall mode, I think Rublev's going to self-destruct. But I do think he can keep it together and use his firepower to hold serve a decent amount. And I think as a result, you should see a tiebreaker in here. So give me the tiebreaker at plus 137. And I'll also lean to Sinner with the over- for the games, I got nothing on two and a half. I don't mind the potentially leaning to center in three if you want to go for a pretty decent plus money play. But I'll link to the over in games, and I'll lean to tiebreaker at plus 137. Now, moving on to the second match, you have Fritz taking on Rune. And to look at that head-to-head, it has been, well, pretty interesting. Just kidding, they have never played before. So looking at the actual path for both players, Fritz has looked pretty good. P- uh, played against Nava and played against Chapo. So Nava was kind of a gift there because Isner once again Isner's just been horrible, uh, lost in straight sets, uh, two tie breaks, shocker uh, to Nava, and then Nava ended up losing to Fritz six four six one, and then Fritz beat Chapo six four six four. Look good there, Chapo's still having a down year, kind of been another guy who's fallen off a cliff. It's not as bad as like Demetra. or it is worse. Then Dimitrov, and I mentioned Felix or whatever. They're still top 10 guys. Just Chapo's been a mess for the last year or two. Made the final in, I want to say, Korea, where he lost to Nishioka in the final, but that's really the only thing worth noting that he's done for about a year. He's really just been bad. Really, since the five-set loss to Nadal in the Australian Open, I don't think he's done anything. But anyway, Rune had a nice win there against uh so that was Fritz's path uh Rune's path also pretty straightforward beat Fuksovics in straight sets Fuksovich has been good though and ended up beating Schwartzman in the second match he had to play I'm sure he was thrilled he got to face off against 2023 Schwartzman nice win by Schwartzman though in the first round as he was able to beat uh Yibing Yibing I think I overrated to be honest I'm down on Yibing again I don't want to say that I treated it the same way that I treated Kubler last year when he went on a bit of a run there, and I kind of overrated him immediately and thought he'd be a top 25 guy. Yibing did make the final in Dallas, and he won the tournament, so he won an ATP event, but there's something with him. I don't know if it's the serve, or maybe it's the... Just consistency with the power shots he goes for, but I don't know. It it just seems like Yibing still has some stuff to figure out. He did miss a lot of time with injuries, but he won an ATP event, so I can't really use that as an excuse. But yeah, Yibing has been a bit underwhelming since Dallas and Schwartzman took advantage, but both players once again have won pretty comfortably in their respective matches. And similarly to the actual first match we talked about, I like the over in this one. I like the over in sets. I think 2.5 is a good deal at plus 145. But to look at the odds here, you have, Ru- you have Rune as an underdog. Fritz is a favorite at minus 150. Rune is plus 130. The game spread is minus 2 for Fritz. For Rune, it's plus 2 at minus 115. Over-under is 23 games flat. And I said before, the sets are 2.5 uh, plus 145 on the over. Rune to win a set is minus 185. And Fritz to win in straight sets is is plus 155. So for me, I think Rune is, when healthy, in my opinion, the better player. Now, that's the issue. He's had a lot of leg injuries recently with Rune. The stamina has been a bit concerning, and he's had a lot of cramping issues. So that could be a problem. Fritz has more firepower, and he's got the better serve. But I'm still not sold on Fritz's consistency with the strokes. And I do think that Rune hits the ball. I'd say more purely, pretty sure purely is a word. I think that he hits the ball more flush. We'll say that. So I do think that Rune, if it gets into longer rallies, Rune will have an advantage, the longer the rallies go. And I think that Fritz does have the advantage because he is of course, American and it's taking place in Miami. But I think I'm going to lean Rune here, especially at these odds, I think this is more of a coin flip match. Now, I guess the argument is, well, Fritz is the better server, so if he can hold, maybe he can pressure Rune's service games and he'll be able to get himself maybe a couple more breakpoint chances, maybe. But Fritz, I still think when it comes to rallying, he leaves some to be desired. Now, he's gotten better at it. He's a top 10 player, or he's in and out of the top 10, I should say. But I think Rune is good enough to definitely give Fritz serious problems, especially if he doesn't cramp up. I know the movement's a lot better for Rune than it is for Fritz. But give me Rune here on the money line at plus 130. I think he's quite alive to win this match. I like the over two and a half sets at plus 145. But I think Fritz being this big of a favorite is a little bit surprising to me because I do think Rune is capable of giving Fritz problems problems and I think as a result, plus 130 is worth the look. So le- I'm going to lean to Rune there, and I'll lean to the over, both in games and sets. Moving on, you have the first interesting unexpected match here uh, in the round of 16, as you have Schulp taking on Rusevori. Uh, Schulp has had a pretty nice run. He had a nice win there against Rude in the last match that he played in. Uh, so he won that one, and he also beat Papyrin in three in his first match here. Meanwhile, Rusevori's had a much easier go of it. So he ended up going through qualifying or sorry. uh, He did not go through qualifying. He had to play in the round of one 28. So to look at his matches so far, he ended up beating Borges in the first round, six, one, six, four Borges. I think just won a challenger title. So he might've been exhausted because he didn't have any time off in between, but either way, Rusevori, not his problem. He won straight sets. Beat Batista Agut in straight sets, and then beat Taro Daniel in straight sets. Daniel is in good form, so that's a nice win there. Batista Agut is past his prime. I've mentioned it before, but he, he was off leading up to that event, so he was rested, and he ended up winning a second set tie break to win that match in each of those last two matches. But to look at the actual odds for this matchup, uh, you have... Rusevori as the favorite at minus 145. Zanshulp is plus 125 the other way. Game spread seems to be just constantly around two or two and a half uh, for every match we've covered so far. And the over-under once again, 23. And you have the over-under in sets at plus 130 on the over. So for this matchup, I think Rusevori should be favored. And I am going to take him. I think that he's the better player than Schulp right now. Once again, Zanshulp, nice wins, beating. You ended up beating Papyron and Rude. The problem is, you went to three sets against both of them, and we've roasted Rude for underachieving all year long. And you ended up seeing Zanshulp win that one, just coming back from a set down. I thought Rude was horrible in that match. And the fact that it was still a war is a bit concerning to me. And Rusevori's look good against players in pretty good form. So I think that does uh, I think Zanschulp's resume is a little bit inflated. And Papyron's decent, but he's a bit streaky as well. So I'm gonna lean to Rusevori here. I think that he's the better player, and I think there's some value on it. Plus, go through the head to head here. Uh Zanschulp is currently one and one against Rusevori. However, both meetings were on uh, grass, which tells you absolutely nothing. So I'm tossing that in the garbage. But based on recent form. And what I've seen in this tournament, Rusevori looks like he's handled the court conditions better as he has had a straight set, straightforward victory in every single match he's played while Zanchop's had a couple of wars. So give me Rusevori on the money line at minus 145 there. Moving on uh, to the uh, rematch of the Australian Open, you have Sitsi Pass taking on Kakanov. For this matchup, it is pretty even. You have Sitsipas a minus-120 favorite, Kakanov at even money the other way. The over-under in games is 24, slight juice to the under, but it's minus-101 to the over unders, minus, 119. Games, minus one and a half is minus-119. Sitsipas games, minus-1.5 is plus-111. Kakanov, plus-1.5 games is minus-131. And looking at the sets here, over-2.5 sets is plus-126. Setsi Pass to win in straight sets is a plus 200. So looking at the head to head, I just alluded to it, but Sitsi Pass did just beat uh Ka- did just beat Kakanov in the Australian Open, and that was a pretty straightforward match initially. Sitsi Pass was up two sets and a break, I believe. And then Sitsi Pass kind of choked it. Kakanov fought off a, a couple of really, really uh, stressful situations there in the second set and ended up, in the third set, I mean, and ended up winning the third set, but then Paz immediately went up a break in the fourth and won that match comfortably. Sitsipas is 6-0 lifetime against Kakanov, and it's only minus 120. Now, I know Paz had a tough go of it against Green. It was his first match in a while. He's battled an injury or two. But he ended up facing off against Jordan Thompson and Ian Wells. He stated after he lost that match that Sitsipas, or that he himself was battling, I should say, a certain injury, and he was forced to play in this event because of his ATP ranking. And it basically sounded like he didn't want to play, and he had to. Now he seems fine, but the injury has to be baked in because Sitsipas is only minus 120 here against a guy that he's beaten six times that he has never lost to. So I think on principle... I have to link to Sitsipas here because once again, just matchup-wise, he's given Kakanov nightmares. And it just seems like based on their careers, Sitsipas is Kakanov's boogeyman. And I feel like minus 120 is a good price. So I'm gonna take Sitsi Pass at minus 120. Not gonna really overthink this. If you want to make a case for Kakanov, I'm not gonna stop you because you're factoring in the injuries and the fact that Sitsipas is not currently playing in peak form, but Matchup wise, he's just a bad matchup for Kakanov. So give me City Pass at minus 120 on the money line. Moving on, you have Alcaraz taking on Tommy Paul, which should be a fun match because they had a very fun match in Canada last year where Tommy Paul actually won in three sets, which was an absolute thriller. And I remember watching that match thinking, this Tommy Paul guy is actually better than I remember because he's been. Very good ever since, and that was the first match I kind of noticed it. But either way, Alcaraz has been an absolute machine so far in this event, and he's won the first set of each of his first two matches 6-0. Uh, but I mentioned before, I said it was in France. It was actually in Canada. Uh, wait, did I say France or did I say Canada? Either way, the point is it was in Canada. Sorry if I misspoke before. I don't remember what which I said. But Paul won in three sets, and that was definitely a war. Uh, But looking at the actual matches in this event, you have seen Alcaraz have a very, very easy go of it. Ended up beating Bagnus 6-0, 6-2. It looked like Bagnus wasn't going to win a game there for about 30-something minutes. first set was 23 minutes. It was a murder. And then he won the second set, 6-2. I think Bagnus actually broke him in that second set, but that means Bagnus only held serve one time in the entire match. Then Alcaraz won the second match, 6-0, 7-6 against Lachovic. Nice win by Lachovic, beating Murray in the first round, but props to for bouncing back after losing that first set 6-0 to make it competitive, but Alcaraz still won that one in straight sets. Tommy Paul, though, has looked fine. Got taken to three sets against Husor but came back from a set down and then ended up beating Fakina in straight sets there, 6-3, 7-5. Fakina's been good this year, so nice win there by Tommy Paul, was competitive, but Paul got the job done. So for this match, Alcaraz, as I said before, is a massive favorite. He's roughly minus 600. Paul, the other way, is plus 460. For game spread, you can get 4.5, minus 125 on Alcaraz, plus 4.5 on Paul. And for the games, you can get 20.5. The over-under is at minus 110. And Paul, to win a set, is plus 150. Alcaraz in straight sets is around minus 180. So Alcaraz is in great form. He's off of his Indian Wells victory, where he did not drop a set in the entire tournament. However, the thing is, how has Alcaraz looked in this event? And I just mentioned he has not dropped a set. He won the first set in each of the first two matches 6-0. However, I don't when I've watched Alcaraz play, I feel like he's kind of an autopilot right now, where he looked at the schedule. Bagnus is a clay court specialist who didn't I don't know how they hell he made it into the main draw. But Blachowicz has been good for the most part, mostly a clay guy as well, but it looked like Alcaraz was just going through the motions of, I know I'm better than this guy. I'm going to win the game. I'm going to win the match anyway. And there were moments in each match where he kind of took his foot off the gas, where he thought he had the match in the bag and he let his opponent kind of climb back into it a little bit. Bagnus broke him one time, which looked impossible from what we saw early on. And he was also up a break in the second set against Lahovic, And then he gave the break back. So in each of the first two matches, we have seen him struggle to actually maintain a lead without making it interesting for at least two. Five minutes and he was serving for the match there in the second set against Lahovich at five four and then got broken and then won the tiebreaker in the second set anyway. But I think Paul can hang around here. I think Paul's got a skill set which can make this match interesting. Now the issue with Paul is similar to the issue with Nori, which is a lack of overall firepower. But he should have some crowd support. Crowd's gonna be tricky though, because you have an American against Alcaraz, and everyone there's everyone at the event's gonna see it want to see Alcaraz. So it's gonna be hit or miss. But I do think at the end of the day, Paul can make this match competitive. Four and a half does seem kind of sharp. I think if I was going to take anything, I would probably lean to Alcaraz first set spread because he's been that good in first sets. He hasn't dropped the game in the first set. And we saw Paul drop a first set to Hoosler. So I do think that you could run into an issue if you end up taking the spread of Paul getting his ass kicked in the first set, and then bouncing back to have a very competitive second set, kind of like the Lehovich match, where you lose the first set 6-2, and then you lose the second set 7-6, and you still lose because he got killed in the first set. But I do think if you want to look for a set spread... I'm trying to see if I could find it. Um, Okay, I'm trying to see if I could actually find uh, any set spread. Okay, so I see Alcaraz minus two and a half games in the first set at plus 120. That I like. I think there's value on that. If you want to take the under nine and a half games in the first set at minus 120, I like that too. Because even if Paul wins the set and you don't see that coming, still... If he serves first, he can break Alcaraz. I think he's capable of doing it. But if Alcaraz serves first, I definitely think everyone likes the chances of a 6-3 or even a 6-2 or beyond. But once again, he's won the first set 6-0, 6-0 in his first two matches here at 9.5 minus 120. So I think that's kind of value. Uh, I think that's got value to it. So I'm going to link to the under there. Alcaraz first set spread at minus 2.5 games at plus 120, I think is a bit of a bargain and that I'm going to take, especially with Alcaraz's chances of breaking Paul. I think that him to break over one and a half times at plus 120 in the first set alone is probably going to hit two, but that's worth a look, so keep that in mind. Paul's not a great server, but I do think Alcaraz kind of jumps him early, and then we'll go from there. But Alcaraz, I do like him in the first set there, minus two and a half games at plus 120. As for the match... Ah, it's kind of tough. I think I'll lean to the under in games, but if Paul makes a match of it, I wouldn't be shocked. I really don't have much that I'm tempted by. I think Alcaraz probably wins in straight sets, but it's minus 180, so I can't really give that out. But I think I'm going to go to the first set. I'm hoping Alcaraz once again gets off to a fast start. Maybe Paul doesn't, and you end up seeing a bit of a war there as the match progresses. But the first set, I'm hoping Alcaraz can take advantage of a potentially sleepwalking uh, Paul, so give me Alcaraz first set spread minus two and a half games at plus one twenty, and give me the under nine and a half games in the first set at minus one twenty, and I'll hope Alcaraz serves first. And if he does, then that's two birds, one stone. So moving on to the next match, you have Medvedev taking on Halas and Medvedev is a massive favorite as he should be because Medvedev realistically is probably going to bury him. So uh, looking at Medvedev against Hallas. You have Medvedev as a massive, massive favorite. He's around minus 900. The game spread is minus five and a half games or four and a half games. I think it's mostly five flat or four and a half uh, with some decent juice, but uh, you have over under 22 games. Under is minus 137. Over is plus 117. Medvedev to win in straight sets is minus 200. Alice to win a set is plus 160. And, yeah, I don't have much more to add there. Uh, I think is going to crush him. I don't have much else to say. Medvedev had the advantage of having a bye last round because Mulcan ended up not showing up. He had to retire, so that turned into a walkover. Halas did beat him in their only meeting, but that was in 2015, which tells me absolutely nothing. Halas has had a couple of long sets, though. Ended up beating Martinez 6-2, 7-6. Beat Dimonor uh six, 7 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, marathon match there. And then beat McDonald, nice one there, 7-6, 6-3. Six, six, so he's had a couple of tie breaks, so I probably would consider staying away from the under now that I think about it, just because Halas has served well. Then again, he hasn't faced anybody of the caliber of Medvedev, and Medvedev played one match, beat Baina 6-1, six, 6-2. Six, I think Medvedev probably wins comfortably, but I think it could be a 6-4, six, 6-4 four, six, four match. And at that point, I'm not really sold in anything. So I'm going to stay away from that match. I don't see much value. So I'm going to skip that. But looking at the other matches to talk about, uh, you have an interesting matchup between uh, Manorino and Eubanks, which is the other match that nobody really expected to see in the round of 16. But to quickly pull up the odds for this match, you end up seeing what should be a competitive match based on what we've seen up to this point and based on how both players are kind of on their own Cinderella runs. But actually, as of right now, I'm trying to see if I can even find odds on those matches. Sorry, just give me a second. I thought I had odds on it. Maybe if it was, maybe it was pulled, but now I can't find odds on them. So let me see if I can quickly find odds. Um, as of right now, I don't think I see odds on those matches. So I'm just checking one last book, hoping that they have it. Um, do they have it? Big Bucks, Big Bucks, and No Whammy. They do not. Okay. So the final two matches that we didn't cover were the Manorino match against Eubanks and the Sorondola match against Sonigo. So to go through those, the Eubanks piece is fascinating to me because Eubanks is a bit of a shock to be here and he's got the American crowd behind him. However, I do think that Manorino is a player that's going to give Eubanks problems because of his unique play style. The extremely flat balls that he hits, I think, is going to be a problem for Eubanks, who hits a bunch of unforced errors. Eubanks is a go for broke kind of guy, and he tries to use a lot of firepower, which has translated well to these courts. But Manorino has been feisty, and he ended up having a complete no-show in the first set of this tournament against Shang. Well, it's the first set 6-1, and then he's been great ever since. Won the final two sets there, then beat Shelton, even though the crowd was very, very heavy on Shelton, especially since Shelton was, I want to say, a Florida Gator, I think, for college. So he was a local product, I think. Um, let me just pull that up. I'm pretty sure it was a Florida Gator for college. Yeah, he was. So it was a Florida Gator. So the crowd was all over Shelton and Manorino still beat him and then beat Herkaz the match later. So I'm going to go with Manorino here. I just think he's the better player and Eubanks has played well. I get all that, but Manorino with his unique style of play, I think he'll give Eubanks problems because I'm not sure how Eubanks is supposed to prep for him. So give me Manorino to get that job done. I don't mind the over though. I think it might go three sets, but I'll lean to Manorino. And the last one, you have Sarandolo taking on Sonigo. I think I'm going to go with Sonigo on this one. Sarandolo had a nice win against Felix, and he had a good win against Kovacevic in his first match here. But I think Sonigo is just the better player. Uh, he beat team in the first round. Nothing to take away from there. Team's a mess. He's a challenger level player at this point. Beat Evans in three, and then beat Tiafoe comfortably. I think Sonigo is the better player. I see a war in that match, though, so I will lean to the over, but I will lean to Sun to go to get the job done. But that's going to wrap it up for the actual uh, breakdowns for the round of 16 matches. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks, but before we get into that, i going to have a quick word from our sponsors. WinBet is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Game Podcast Network. WinBet is now active in Massachusetts and a ton of other states. And March Madness is here. It's Final Four time. And there are so many ways to bet on the big dance. Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100 to get an extra $100. dollars we to say the state availability. And, of course, for our DGens out there, if you hit the biggest long shot parlay of the week, you get a $1,000 credit. Something to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to winbet.com or download the Winbet app. Offer subject to change tripping conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play the Winbet is available. If you or some of you know is a gambling problem, call 1-800-522- forty seven hundred we're going to hang out with sean and ryan at stadium swim and watch the biggest golf tournament in the world you can win a three-night stay at circle las vegas to hang out with the guys the contest is completely free to enter just go to sportscamppodcast.com slash golf party and if you don't win the contest you can still get a discount on a room using the promo code sgp15 the final four watch party is going viral Hang out with the guys on their YouTube channel for the entire Saturday of Final Four action. Live bets, prize giveaways, and much more. Subscribe to, to youtube.com slash com and tune in on Saturday. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy continues their March Madness college pick'em. It's a great way to get in on the action, especially if your bracket is busted. Plus, Underdog Fantasy has your favorite college basketball player props and great NBA and NHL daily games. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gateway Podcast. Just finished previewing the round of 16 matches in the Miami Open. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for the episode. So, starting off with the lock, I am going to go back to that Rusevori match taking on Van Schulp And for this one, I am going to go with Rusevori on the money line at around minus 145. Simply put, I think Zanschulp has done pretty well here, but going three sets against Papyron and Rude. Doesn't exactly win me over. Rude on paper sounds good, but then you got to keep in mind the context of him really just being horrible in 2023. And I think as a result, Zan Schulp has really looked fine. I don't think he's looked overly amazing by any means. Rusevoria things looked really good, and the fact that he hasn't dropped a set up to this point definitely helps. His skill sets translated well to the actual surface, and I do think at the end of the day. When you see him beating Batista Agut and Taro Daniel in straight sets, that's impressive to me. So I do think that Rusevori is in better form, and I think that minus 145 is a good price. Might be competitive, might maybe go to three sets, but give me Rusevori there to get the job done at minus 145 on the money line. And for my dog, I am going to go back to that Alcaraz and Tommy Paul match, and I am going to go with the first set spread. I thought about going with an over two and a half sets. The runner-up option was Rune. Or maybe Rune two and a half sets, but either way, I think I'm gonna go with Alcaraz first set spread minus two and a half games at plus one twenty. At the end of the day, it's a guy who's won the first two the first set of each of his first two matches here six zero six zero. And I get that it's against weaker competition, but the point is Alcaraz has been very good lately of jumping on his opponent early. And I do think that Tommy Paul, despite beating Fakina in his last match, which was a good win. I do think Paul's lack of firepower is going to be a problem for him in this match. And if Alcaraz can hit his spots, be aggressive in the rallies, while also not hitting that many unforced errors, which was really his undoing in Canada, when they faced off, he ended up hitting a lot of uncharacteristic unforced errors. And I do think with Alcaraz, based on recent form, limiting the amount of unforced errors should be able to push Paul around the court. And I think he'll be able to break it at least once in the first set. Maybe twice. We might only need one break. If Alcaraz serves first, then one break. You're sitting at six three. So give me Alcaraz to win the first set. Spread uh, minus two and a half there at plus one twenty. So once again, the lock and dog for the show. Going to give out Rusevori on the money line at minus one forty five as the lock, and for the dog, going to give out Alcaraz minus two and a half games at plus one twenty. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. But before we actually get into any of the official farewells, I do want to at least acknowledge a pretty saddening situation there going on in the WTA portion of this event. And even though I mostly cover the ATP on this podcast, we did have a couple of WTA episodes last week in Indian Wells, which worked out pretty well. But still, I know that the Discord page for SGPN. If you're not joined, by the way, join the SGPN discord. We have a lot of very, very solid cappers there who share their opinions on bets all the time. Fun communities and the tennis community is extremely passionate as well. But we have a lot of guys in that discord group on the tennis page who are very big fans of BB on the women's side. And unfortunately, uh, Bianca suffered a pretty nasty fall in her last match. And she started crying on the court, and they brought out the wheelchair, and it was extremely rough to fully witness there. She was losing the match at the time. She was up a break in the second set, and we know that Andreski was capable of having comebacks, and she was having a good tournament. I think she had a shot to actually win the tournament based on how she was playing. And just to look at her matches, I mean, she ended up beating Ratakanu in the first round, beat Sakari in the second round, beat Kennan in the third round. She looked really good. But she ended up getting injured, and I wanted to bring it up because I know that it was a group therapy session there in the Discord because a lot of people were disappointed and just really sad about how that unfolded. And when anytime you start crying and you bring out the wheelchair, it's rough. I I'm not going to fully compare it to the Zverev injury in the French Open because that Zverev injury was probably the worst injury I've ever seen live in a tennis match. It was really rough. I'm not sure if she tore anything i'm not sure if she just sprained her ankle what the story is but the point is injuries suck and i wanted to bring it up and even when we talk about players withdrawing or retiring mid-match from injuries keep in mind that they're playing a sport for a living and we of course bet on it for entertainment just keep in mind that they're playing through a lot of injuries and that injuries are a part of the sport but it's a really really Dangerous part of participating in these sports at a high level, running at constant high speeds, hitting the ball insanely hard. And at any moment, you can be out for a while if injuries don't – or the injury luck doesn't go your way. And I wanted to bring that up because I know that BB is a beloved figure in the Discord uh, channel for tennis that we have at SGPN. And I want to talk about the injury just to remind everybody that even though you might lose a bet on a player and you think the, bet, the person is just, you know, potentially just scum for losing a bet for you, there's still people, it's still their livelihoods and you never want to see a person get injured. So that's going to be my last kind of closing note there. Wanted to bring it up before I wrapped up the show. Either way, you can find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. We'll be back once again for the quarters. I decided to do it for the quarters. Why not? We'll be back for the rest of the tournament. And until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.